Uh, the number one uh, chosen out of the, I think, 15 options was fear. And you guys chose, I think it was like almost double the, the second place. So that's obviously a subject that people want to have some words spoken into. Hey, um, has anyone ever been in one of those conversations where you're talking to someone and, you know, like you get one person does this when you're talking, they're like, yeah, oh, wow, oh my gosh, really? Oh. And then you get the other person doing this. Can I just say, when you're new to preaching and you're only doing like your third or fourth or fifth time, can we be the first people? Can we encourage and uh, lift up and encourage Jordan Jones as she preaches this morning? Let's give her a big round of applause. If you like what she has to say, why don't we, let's do a practice. Blah, 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 blah. Really good point. Good work. Thanks, Jordan. Wow. (laughs) Thank you. Good morning, everybody. Oh, boy. Awesome. Wow. Good morning. So I got the lovely topic of fear to talk about today, which I felt was a little bit ironic because that's what I felt when I realized, oh, this is what I'm speaking on. But you guys voted for it, and I think it's a great topic. It's super relevant. I don't think we have to look hard to see that fear is prevalent in most societies in some capacity today. And if we look back throughout history, we can see very clear fear has been a huge factor in controlling people and countries and ideologies. And we only need to look back at COVID times to see how fear operated very powerfully and very dangerously if we let it get away on us. And I feel like it's kind of trendy, it's fashionable at the moment to be working on your fears and your anxieties. Like society tells us, you know, this is what's fashionable at the moment. And it's great at offering us these amazing solutions to our fears. Like, you just need these essential oils. Have you tried adult coloring? It's very therapeutic. You need yoga, hot yoga, goat yoga, any kind of yoga. You can get an emotional support pet and you can get an emotional support drink bottle, right? (laughs) And I'm sure some of these things have huge benefits. I'm not discrediting them at all, maybe the goat yoga, but I'm sure some of these are wonderful. But if we want to understand how fear operates, if we want long-term, lasting solutions how to manage fear, I feel like we're going to have to go a bit deeper than that. And so I don't want to look today at what society tells me fear is. I want to know what God says and what the Bible says. So today I've got two things to look at. The first one is just a very brief kind of discussion about whether there's a place for healthy fear in our lives in terms of like the emotion fear. Did God design us to feel it and feel it well? And then the main thing I want to do is I want to break down the two types of fear that the Bible talks about. So let's get into it. This is Brene Brown's definition of fear. Fear is a negative, short-lasting, high-alert emotion in response to a perceived threat, and like anxiety, it can be measured as a state or trait. Now, I think, I think that's a, like a pretty standard view of fear, and I agree for the most part. I agree that fear is great at altering our sense of safety, our sense of security, and our sense of peace. But I want to know, is there like a place for this emotion in our lives? Like before we get into it, is there a place where like this is kind of healthy to feel? Because fear has a bad reputation. I don't think it's all bad. 
So I went back to the animal kingdom, because why not? And I was like, okay, animals have these natural instincts when they are afraid or when they sense a threat. They protect themselves, they protect the young well in a prey versus predator environment. And I don't think humans are that different. We may not change colour like a chameleon and hopefully we wouldn't like bite somebody if we were backed into a corner and we were afraid. But, <laughs> some of us, uh, but we do have a natural response to fear. It's like an instinct. Our body physically alters itself when we experience fear. It can slow down functions that we don't need for survival, like a digestive system short term. It can speed up sharpened functions like eyesight, speed, strength. How many stories have you read where like, there's a parent that lifts a car off their child and demonstrates this amazing ability when they feel afraid? And I've seen this for myself. I remember when I was younger, my sister, my brother and I were in a swimming pool. It was like a chest height, risen off the ground swimming pool. My sister's about three, she's in this armchair lilo, and my mum, we're at her friend's place, she's across the garden. And my sister's in the lilo, and it flips, and she's caught underneath. And before any of us can respond, my mum, from the other side of the garden, in her beautiful, nice clothes and jewellery, runs, sprints, hikes over the pool, doesn't even touch it, into the pool, throws off the lila, lifts off my sister, sunglasses are still on, and, and before we could like do anything, she had done this, she had demonstrated this amazing instinct for fear. And so, this is kind of a personal opinion in this regard, but I think it's reasonable to say that God gave us a capacity for legitimate, innate, fundamental, natural fear, and that wisdom is a huge part in distinguishing this. Fear, this emotion of fear, is completely necessary and essential to kind of preserve the human race. The difference is that this fear is designed to protect, not to imprison us. So if you have kids, or you've been a kid, then you would have imparted or been imparted with this system, the system of fear. It would have been custom built to your environment by whoever gave it to you. And this would have been a vital part in us growing up and understanding what to fear, what not to fear. Parents are going to warn their kids like, okay, don't touch that fire, it's hot. Don't eat that, you'll get sick. And this is an important system to instill and it needs a rational and reasonable approach. For example, I am terrified of spiders. I don't like the way they crawl. I don't like the AIs they're working with. It doesn't seem natural to me. And my, I'm trying not to instill this fear into my kids because I know it's irrational. And so when my son hands me a spider or shows me the spider he's found, he's like, Mom, look, look at this. And I say, inside, I'm freaking out. Outside, I'm like, wow, he's got such furry legs. And he says, do you want to hold? And I say, um, you know, I think he's really looking for his mum and dad outside. So you better put him outside because they're going to be so worried about him. And he's like, oh, okay. And I do this because I want to build a fear system for my kids that is legitimate and rational so that they're safe. But I don't want them to be afraid of everything. Because we do need fear, but we need common sense. And we could argue that combined with wisdom, fear is part of God's provision for us. 
healthy, sensible fear should protect us. And this type of fear, this is not an expression of disbelief or distrust in God on any level. Right, now let's get to the juicy stuff. Because what does the Bible say? The Bible has so much to say about fear. It's mentioned over 500 times. Fear not is mentioned 365 times in the Bible, one for every day of the year. And so straight off the bat, we know that the Bible understands that fear is going to be a relatable, a familiar, an experience we're all going to have. And to have this many mentions means there is some importance in us understanding how fear operates and how to manage it. And at first glance, it's a little confusing because the Bible's like, okay, do not fear. And then it's like, fear the Lord your God. And it, but when we break it down, the Bible is talking about two types of fear, right? It's talking about fear of the Lord and it's talking about the spirit of fear. And because the English language is lovely and limited, I'm going to break it down to its Hebrew translations because it's a great way of kind of giving it the context it deserves. So the first fear I want to look at is the good type of fear because there is good, healthy, vital, essential fear that we should all have. And this one in its Hebrew word is yeda. Yeda is Godly, reverential, holy fear. It's what we feel in the presence of the divine. It is the call to behold and to worship. And literally translated from Hebrew, it means awe. Awe, wonderment. In English, in the Bible, we often read this as like, fear the Lord your God. But what it means is fear the Lord your God in respect in reverence, in worship, and yera, this concept is strongly connected to the idea of trembling, trembling in awe. Psalm 2.11 says, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. But if we kind of break it down to how it's meant to be, it's serve the Lord with respect, with reverence, with authority that he, he deserves, and rejoice with trembling. And I think, you know, if we're a Christian or not, I think we could all say we have experienced some sense of yeda before. I have a picture here. This is the Grand Canyon. Because people travel all around the world to witness, to stand in amazement before these natural wonders. And it creates this sense of yeda. I don't know if anyone else has like stood under the stars at night. And I, I know I do, and I'm like, wow, I am one person and one planet and a whole universe out there. And it's that sense of, like, the divine. Some people say that the miracle of childbirth gives the feeling of yetta. I personally think it's which role you played in that situation, but <laughs> you get my point. So when the Bible commands us to fear, fear the Lord your God, it means fear God in regards to his love and his power and the fact that he can make any dream a reality if he wants to. And that's like scary good stuff. Equally, part of Yera is like fearing God's anger and disappointment when we disobey him or when we turn against him. And the Bible is full of examples of Yera. And just to kind of give it a little bit of context of how we can read it, I've got a few examples here. This one is just before 
Moses' story. So this is Exodus 1, 15 to 17. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Shephra and Pua, when you are helping the Hebrew woman during, during childbirth on the delivery stool, if you see the baby as a boy, kill him. But if it is a girl, let her live. And the midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do, and they let the boys live. This is a great, great example of Yedah, because this shows us how God, fear of God, is stronger than the spirit of fear, because there's a very real possibility during these times that the midwives would have been punished and would have been killed for disobeying the king. But they feared God, they feared his authority more than they feared death at the hands of the king. And then further on in Exodus, during Moses' story, we have these examples. When the people saw the thunder and the lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain in smoke, they trembled in fear and they stayed at a distance. Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. Again, this reference to trembling. But I love these verses because they demonstrate that only when we fear God in the sense of the word with awe, with reverence, with understanding of his power and authority, can we live as God actually intended us to. Living with Yeda calls us to be more obedient, to reject sin, to worship wholeheartedly, to live out God's purpose to us without being a slave to fear. And Yeda is great at keeping us on the right track, keeping our morals in check. Because if we never had any fear of displeasing someone that we respected and loved, if we never had a cost for being immoral, there was no accountability, we would have little care to keep on the right and often harder track in life. It'd be like the Hunger Games out there. So Yeda is absolutely vital and essential as part of our Christian life. Does that make sense? <laughs> Good. Okay, next is the naughty fear. This is, <laughs> this is the spirit of fear. And translated in Hebrew, it is, is it going to work? Pashad. This is the one I want to hone in on because this is so applicable to our world. This is the great fear that weasels its way in and destroys goodness, and it's sneaky. And Parshad is a projected or imagined fear. It is overreactive. It is irrational by nature. It is earthly, carnal. More blatantly, it is forbidden, and it is sinful. It is obsessive. It gives us that great feeling we're probably all very familiar with of senseless dread and anxiety. And we can probably all relate to this. It is unhealthy and it is destructive. Things like fear of death, fear of loneliness, the dehabilitating fear of failure, all these things kind of fall under this type of fear. And this can be caused by so many things. It can be experiences from our past. It can be trauma we've been through. It can be irrational fear like phobias. Boy, is there a phobia for everything these days. The best one I ever heard was pentherophobia, which is fear of your mother-in-law. I feel like that's a little bit relatable. For <laughs> The real kicker is 
We all know what this fear is like. We all know what it's like to feel it. And we can find this type of fear in anything and everything if we are looking for it. We can leave our house and we can go over the scenario of someone breaking in, right? We can drive on the road and go over the scenario of having a car accident. For some reason, my weird one of these is playgrounds. So I do not like taking my kids to playgrounds, and it's a terrible thing to say, but Elliot and I will take our kids to the trampoline park, let them jump off the high ones, that's fine, they hurt themselves a little, they bounce back up. Take them to the pool, the little ones in wings, throw in the water, she pops back up, she floats, it's fine. But playgrounds, I go over every scenario that could go wrong in a playground, like if they fall off this, they're going to break an arm, if they jump from that to that, they can knock out their teeth, split their chin. I don't know why. I know it is unhealthy, <laughs> irrational, and overreactive. Right? But we've all got these kind of like spirit of fears that we know we have. And the Bible is full of examples of Parshad. And the very first one is with Adam and Eve. So God creates Adam and Eve to feel no fear, right? They live in peace and comfort. God fellowships with them daily in the Garden of Eden. It sounds very lovely. And then the fall happens. And this is the first time the spirit of fear creeps in humanity. So this is Genesis 3.8. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Now, this is our first example of the spirit of fear. And there are so many stories in the Bible that really kind of demonstrate this fear. And I've just chosen like a part of one today, partly because I like its redemptive aspect. But this is a bit of Elijah's story. So... During this time, before we get to the verse, Elijah is living in Israel at the time that King Ahab and Jezebel are ruling it. And the wicked rulers, they basically turn the nation against God to worship a false idol. Right? And Jezebel is killing God's prophets in what alludes to is like horrific ways. And so after a demonstration of God's power, before these false prophets, Elijah kills them on God's command, and then this drought is broken that it's ravaged the land for years, and rain falls. But Jezebel gets word of what's happened to her prophets, and she swears to have Elijah killed. And so he flees. And this is the verse that follows that story. So 1 Kings 19.3. Elijah was afraid and he fled to his life, for his life. He went to Bathsheba, a town in Judah, and left his servant there. He went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. All right, so despite Elijah's victory... Despite everything God's done to prove himself before the false prophets and in breaking the droughts, Elijah is so consumed by fear that the same fate would befall him that had the rest of God's prophets who Jezebel had killed. And his fear of death is only added to by the fear that he's failed God. He fled, he ran, he basically wimped out. But I love what happens next because next is such a good demonstration of God's 
character as a loving father. God does, doesn't scold him. He doesn't go, after everything I did for you, seriously, this is how you repay me? Instead, he sends an angel down to tend to Elijah with food, with water, and safety to sleep. I feel like this is kind of God looking at Elijah. Like, have you ever seen a toddler have a major meltdown? And you look at them and you're like, oh, you're just overtired and hangry. No matter what I say to you now, nothing is going to get through. And I feel like God's a bit like looking at Elijah like that. He's like, oh, you need food and sleep, then we'll talk. And I chose this story because I find Elijah's fear super relatable. It's not that Elijah doubted God's power. He knew what God was capable of. I mean, he'd seen it for himself. He'd experienced it firsthand. But he also knew that Jezebel had killed a lot of God's people and God hadn't done anything to to stop her in that regard. And so he was afraid that he wasn't going to like what God was going to ask of him what God's plan for him was going to involve. And I think that's super relatable. Like, has anybody ever done the prayer? I know I have. We are like, God, I'll go anywhere you ask of me, anywhere, just not there. And I'll talk to any person you want me to, any person, just please not that person. (laughs) We may know that God is good, but we may fear what comes our way and God's kind of overall good plan for the world. So how does God ease Elijah's fear? Basically, well, he comes in like a whisper and he just explains to Elijah what he's got to do. And God highlights that Elijah is not alone and to get up, go finish the work that he's called him to do. And I I think it's basically like a blue pill, red pill matrix moment where he's like, okay, you can choose fear or you can choose to trust me. And thankfully, Elijah obeys, trust is restored, and the story goes on from there. But it's amazing how in just a whisper of God's truth and the reminder that Elijah is not alone, that he kind of silences this fear in him. And, and the spirit of fear, Parshad, is the type of fear that God commands us not to have Because it is so good at compromising our faith and our trust in God. It's the first thing it goes after. Living in fear is not actually what God had planned for our lives. To live with anxiety and dread and too afraid to have a relationship with God because of what He may ask of us is not what He planned. And unfortunately, none of us have this ironclad willpower where we're like, okay, Good fear, bad fear, only going to do the good. I'm never going to feel afraid again because we have this like belief that I'm living to please God. I am invincible to the spirit of fear. That is not a reality. I'm sorry. Because God never guarantees that our circumstances, our relationships, our lives are not going to cause us stress, pain, or fear. It's more likely in these times, unfortunately, that we are refined that we are reminded how much we need God and how much we need Him as our source of joy. But we can decide that we are going to respond differently to the spirit of fear than we have before. And I've got five questions that I think we can ask ourselves to understand how fear operates in our lives, how we can respond to it, and how we can take back control over the spirit of fear. So these are my questions. The first one is, 
Do we willingly feed our fear? We are what we eat. It's a well-known saying. If it was true, I'd be a loaf of bread. But if going on social media fuels your fear, then you are feeding yourself junk. Some of us may know what things fuel and feed our fear. And if we don't, we should seriously be asking ourselves that question. Because our focus should be on God's promises and not our fears. Because our focus is great at feeding our feelings. Remember when like, Peter steps out on the boat towards Jesus and he's on the water and he's like, he's doing it. His focus is on Jesus. He's got it. And then he's like, oh, it's windy. It's probably very deep. And his focus shifts from Jesus to his circumstances and he begins to sink. And I think the same is true of us as well. When we focus on things that create the spirit of fear, our feelings very quickly follow. So do we willingly feed our fear? The next question is, do we know what frightens us? This question is so important because what we fear, we can so easily end up worshipping. If we fear failure, we worship success. If we fear uncertainty or the unknown, we worship control. If we fear pain, we worship comfort. And if we fear loneliness, we worship relationships, whether they're healthy for us or they're not. Facing our fears requires us to be really honest about what we truly worship. Right. Next question. Do we use the fear of God to fight the spirit of fear? Both are weapons. And both are great at destroying each other. But you have to pick a weapon to battle with. For fear of the Lord is going to say, right? It's going to tell us that God is bigger than any earthly fear we could ever have. Yes, we cannot control our environments. We cannot control bad people. We cannot control natural disasters. But what we can control is to choose to trust and fear God with yera, with holy, holy fear, and know that what else could possibly stand against him, right? Because God has promised to be with us always, always, not sometimes, always. He wasn't like, I'll be with you always, except Easter and Christmas because I'm in pretty high demand. He was like, I'll be with you always. He's like a McDonald's open anytime, place, anywhere. You just have to look. So do we fight Use the fear of God to fight the spirit of fear. Next question. Do we trust the Lord the Father? Do we trust God with childlike trust? Because just like Elijah's story where God tends to him like this overwhelmed child with fatherly love, knowing God as the kind of loving father is such a great way in helping us deal with fear. Because when a child is afraid, right, they're going to want the comfort of their, parents, uh, of their parents' arms. I know in our house it's like, I'm afraid of the dark. There's a monster under my bed. There's a new shadow, weird shadow in my room. And all the kids want is their parents to comfort them, to calm them, to make them feel safe. And I think that's a great way of viewing God when we are afraid to take our fears to him with that f- and experience his fatherly love. First Peter says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. He wants us to take our fears to him. He wants to comfort us. And finally, my last, do we use the antidote that God has given us? 
Because if fear is the poison, then faith is the antidote. And peace and joy are great side effects of that. Every new fear we face, we can look at as an opportunity to grow our faith, to add more to our armor, because fear is an emotion. And we can't always control it. But what we can control is to choose trust and to choose faith in God. That is an act of will. Fear cancels out trust and it works vice versa. And to say that fear is not present, it doesn't apply to us, that is not very spiritually mature. Because even the Bible acknowledges the very real reality of fear that will be in our lives. And courage powered by faith does not make fear disappear, but it just gives us this amazing capacity to endure it and to weather it well. And I wanted to do this very lovely conclusion and tie it up all nicely and send you on your way. But I just keep coming back to this one statement, so I'm going to end on this. On earth, the spirit of fear is going to exist. That's inevitable. But choosing faith, choosing to trust God and live in faith gives it no power. Cool. Thank you, everybody. Woo!